Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. This episode you're about to listen to has a few choice words. So if you're listening with your children in the car, earmuffs. Thank you. All right, welcome to our episode today. We are going to be tackling a big topic here about adolescent food intake. And I have a massive disclaimer for many of you mom listeners. Watching your teen navigate their body image journey and sort through all the messages they receive about nutrition will be an extremely challenging parenting phase. And this is because you cannot help your diet culture overwhelmed child manage this insane world of diet culture without doing the hard work yourself. I mean, this is one of the reasons our podcast exists. You will be triggered left and right by your dieting teen because the feedback they hear from health class and the questions they will ask you about their bodies and the comments they make about each other's bodies or their own, it will either verify everything you believe or make you realize how toxic this world is. Tina and I specialize in eating disorders and see so many teens in our practices. This podcast was born from a realization that the parents of many of our clients are also navigating their own journey of healing from the messages they received about food, weight loss, body sizes as they grew up, and the pressures they still face today as they age and become moms. We hear from so many of you how you feel torn between the internal dialogue in your head that tells you to watch your calories and then the mama bear that comes roaring out when you hear your teen start counting hers or his. So this dilemma is where we want to help moms heal themselves and find that internal peace because raising a teen in this diet culture is difficult and we want to help equip you as much as we can by finding body peace for yourself and then giving you the language that we hope will help you and your teens. I am outraged by the comments I hear from my friends who are getting homework assignments sent home from their kids' teachers about quote-unquote sugar being bad or quote-unquote labeling the good and bad foods. I think to myself that these teachers have to know that there is a better way to teach our kids about nutrition. And then I remember that they also live in diet culture. And if they are teaching our kids this information about good, bad foods or sugar being bad and quote unquote, the importance of controlling their weight, then they themselves need to do more work and they're struggling as well. They don't even have the correct information. And it makes me so sad and scared for our future generations. So today we are here to help guide parents, and again, we only can do the tip of the iceberg here because it's a lot of work, but in what to do with all the nutrition information that your teen comes home armed with, or just how to answer some questions your teen may bring to you. So in a past episode, we talked a lot more about your kiddo's nutrition, so if you want to get more information, I would recommend listening back to episode nine with Leslie Schilling, and today we're going to focus more on your adolescent. I also want to address that the messages we are reviewing here are health at every size aligned, intuitive eating based, and are teaching our kids that there are truly no good or bad foods. I am not telling you to serve your kids brownies at every meal or as the only source of nutrition, but I'm saying that if your kid eats a brownie or sugar or whatever, they aren't going to die. 
So if we can teach our children to have a balanced and healthy, keyword here, relationship with food, then we are doing something right. And in order to teach them how to have a healthy relationship with food, then they need to know that they aren't going to be bad if they eat a cookie and that their self-worth is not based off of what they eat and that they do not have to diet to feel good about themselves, nor is it ever necessary, ever. Yeah, from the therapist angle, I find that this is the age that morality of food starts to become introduced and really get into teens' heads. I mean, for their entire lives, kids have been taught right from wrong or good from bad. They've been socially conditioned that good is to be rewarded and bad is punished. I mean, even if it's subtle. But fast forward to high school popularity contests and health class. This is where we find adolescents wondering if they are bad because of the bad foods they eat or the size of their body. Pretty or ugly based on their external appearance. Good or bad based on their perceived level of health. So many of my clients come to me because they're just so overwhelmed by the pressure cooker of high school that the only way that they can begin to make sense of themselves is by hyper-focusing on their body and food. Because surely that must be the problem and then therefore that must be the solution because that's what our culture says. So since no one is explaining the falsities of diet culture and the lies that they are being told, combined with the exaggerated information they're getting about food and the weight stigma messaging in health class, they think they're doing the right thing. So unpacking these nutrition messages as well as diet culture messaging is key to helping your teen grow in body positivity. We are going to discuss your teen's body image in a future episode, but today is going to be all about your teen's nutrition. We have Nicole Cruz, a registered dietitian with a focus on adolescent nutrition on today. We are going to pick Nicole's brain about how she guides teens and their parents to food freedom. And Rachel and I will also share how we work with these teens as well as we chat. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, mamas. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be chatting with Nicole Cruz. Nicole is a registered dietitian nutritionist, mom of three, wife, and eating disorder specialist. She has a private practice located in Southern California, devoted to helping others reclaim their joy and find food freedom. She works with clients from all walks of life to transform their relationship with food by practicing from an intuitive eating perspective and non-diet approach. Since becoming a mom, Nicole has been working to support parents in fostering a healthy relationship with food for their children. She has a private Facebook group, Joyful Eating for Your Family, and she offers virtual nutrition coaching to parents. She is passionate about transforming the way we view nutrition so we can live more full and balanced lives at peace with food. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, well, today we're going to be talking about kids and teens nutrition. And so we're kind of just going to jump right in. So What's the most common struggle that you see teens and their parents face as they navigate their relationship with food? Yeah, I think that's interesting because every uh, every stage of childhood has its challenges, right? And mm-hmm. I don't have teenagers personally yet, um, but I do know from working with my clients and, and their parents that there's always um, a lot of challenges. And so I think if I really had to boil it down to one type of uh, major struggle, it's trying to figure out the autonomy piece, like how much control. And I think that's what comes up a lot is that 
parents are wanting to control so much of what their child eats because they want them to be healthy and it makes sense. Like they really want them to be healthy and to thrive and kids are trying to figure out, you know, their own autonomy and all of that. And so I know I have parents call and say like, um, you know, <laughs> my kid's not eating healthy enough, basically. I think I just need them to bring, I think I need to bring them to you so that you can tell them how to eat healthy because they just won't listen to me, <laughs> you know, like yeah. we need an outside source to tell them what to do because they just won't listen to me. And so again, still like that piece of control, just wanting them to control it. And then the teenagers, especially they're getting to that space where they're wanting to go out to eat with their friends and to just, um, you know, develop their own social life. And so they are being exposed to more um, new foods and stuff. Or maybe they had a rigid uh, childhood around food, you know, where parents were really controlling. And as they get to be teenagers, they're rebelling against that a little bit or um, coming across new foods. So I just see that piece of trying to work through all the autonomy be uh, really tricky and a struggle for both <laughs> the parents and the teenagers involved. Well, we... Should we jump on that, like, that healthy word? Because I know, Nicole, you do a great job unpacking that word. And so when parents call you and they're like, I just want kids to eat, my kids to eat healthy and, and make them eat healthy. Like, how do you how do you immediately address the fact that they have that anxiety and then they're using that word? And how do you help them unpack that piece? Yeah, to like add on to that, because it's like, I see so many clients that come in and are like, I'm going vegan now because I've seen this documentary or all of my friends are going vegan because it's so healthy and it's trendy or whatever because they think they're being healthy. So, <laughs> um, oh gosh, well, where do you start with that, right? Because healthy is such a common word, yet, it, it, and it seems like you would just know what it means, yet it's so nuanced because there's so many pieces of health that are not just about food itself. So I think, I guess this is kind of two part in that one, it's, you know, if I get a parent on the phone like that or even bringing them into the office, I'm really personally trying to tread a little bit lightly about not saying like, hey, we're not going to talk about health at all um, because I, I, I want to be able to help their child and help them kind of navigate and unpack that a little bit. Um, and so a lot of times, you know, on the phone, I, I am pretty clear when I first get them in that, you know, we're going to try to look at health maybe a little bit differently and see how that's showing up and just kind of put that out there that maybe it's a bigger perspective and, um, I'm also really clear with them that I'm not going to tell their child exactly what to eat or what not to eat, and that I really want to help them kind of uncover uh, the joy around food and how food makes them feel in their body. And so I talk to parents a lot about that, that what my real goal is going to be is to get your child to be more in touch with how food feels so that they're able to nourish their body well. And so I think that can sometimes be a little in that allows parents to say, okay, like I can go along this line. You know, I don't want my kid on a diet either. They often say, yet they don't really understand that we're still uh, kind of controlling them by even teaching them about, you know, healthy or not healthy foods. Um, and then, so I don't know. Do you have thoughts about that or comments with that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so tricky and most of the work is coaching the parents. It's not even the kids because the kids live at home with parents. So if the parents can shift their dialogue, then I find that, well, even if the kids are getting those conflicting messages from their friends, they come home 
and their parents are saying something different, you know, and there's so many conflicting messages out there. But if the home life is stable, then they know, well, even if I want to be vegan for quote unquote health reasons or to change my body or whatever, my mom's not going to let me do it. She's, you know, like she doesn't believe in that. I'm not saying I don't believe in vegans. No, but doing it for the wrong reasons, right? Right. And I think that's what's really tricky is because like you were talking about, you know, seeing a documentary and going vegan. And I always try to look at like, there's not just one way of eating that's healthy, like, right, that you can have a vegan diet that's healthy and a vegan diet that's not healthy, like if we're really going to use those terms, right? So it's how does that look? How does it affect your life? What are the consequences of this? Like, how does it make you feel? How does it interrupt your social life? Um, do you find that once you start doing that, you're restricting out more and more foods? You know, um, I've had clients too that were on a vegan diet and they started feeling like they were having like muscle weakness or just lethargy in general. And I think, you know, we can go down these rabbit holes of cutting out more and more things or um, just not getting all the nutrients we need because animal products do provide, you know, B12 and iron and things that we can get from a vegan diet, but you have to be much more um, conscious of how you're getting those things. And so I think any diet can be, you know, quote unquote, healthy or not healthy. And so we really have to look at the big picture of how it affects, you know, your overall life and the impact that it's making. As professionals and as moms, I feel like all of us are always trying to team together to make sure that like our kids are getting those neutral messages around food, either at school, at their friend's house, from other parents, whatever. And yet I have these moments where friends are texting me saying that their kid was sent home with some whack ass assignment teaching about good or bad foods or the teacher sent home a note saying like little Jimmy has too much sugar in his lunch and this is why sugar is bad or high school you know health classes are teaching them kids to log their food and measure their BMI and I feel like my blood boils in these moments so what are your response what's your response to moments like this oh gosh my blood boils too um again I know teachers are really trying to do their best. So I'm not trying not to trying to best teachers, at nope. all, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and that's, what's so hard is that like, they're really also wanting to do well and wanting to like raise these healthy kids. And, and I get it. We're just kind of as a society going about it all wrong, but, um, but they really do have our children's best interest at heart too. And so like, for instance, I can tell you, I was infuriated because just this year, a few months ago, actually my seven-year-old came home with an assignment. He's in second grade and it was a reading assignment and it was not even like about sugar or, I mean, it was about sugar, but the, the purpose was not to teach about sugar. It was to practice reading, you know, speed and fluency. I saw this on your social <laughs> media and I was like, girl, get it. Come on. Oh my gosh. I could not believe how bad it was. Like it was just about sugar being toxic and addictive and oh my gosh, unhealthy and you shouldn't have too much. And it was like going on and on and on. And I was like, oh gosh, take a breath. So I was like literally shaking, like writing this email to the teacher. I was like, absolutely not. You are not participating. Um, So I was really upset about it. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I contacted her and basically what she told me was, 
she didn't even realize it. She's like, I scanned it just to kind of see that it was like age appropriate in terms of reading level. I wasn't like, I was looking for too big of words or anything, but she didn't even like get it. It was just part of this like curriculum that could have had all these passages. And she just picked one to say like, okay, here, go home and read this. Um, and when I voiced all my concerns, she was, you know, wonderful and gave him another reading assignment and then later informed me that she completely removed it and won't be, you know, doing it at all anymore. Um, but she just had no clue and she didn't get it at all. Like she just was oblivious to it, which again, I don't blame her because that's kind of common messaging around. So it was just like, here, here, go read this, you know. Um, so I guess to more kind of you know, directly answer. I suppose that it's it's multifaceted in a lot of ways because I think one, it's really sad that we are exposing children to this, um, this like good, bad, black and white thinking, especially so young and even as teenagers. We know that children and teenagers that are taught rigid rules about food or that are put on diets are more likely to develop eating disorders. Um, you know, in any form. It could be restrictive, it could be binge eating, it's creating shame around food, that lying, hiding piece of food. Um, we also know that they actually are likely to end up in bigger bodies as well, because again, that lying, hiding, sneaking, feeling restricted leads to that rebound eating. So one, I think that good, bad mentality is just not helpful in any way. Um, I think we have to really recognize that food is far more complex than that. You know, I think for us is like weight neutral eating disorder practitioners. We're always talking about like, there's no bad food, you know, unless, unless it's rotten or something like we don't see that we really want to eliminate that. Um, and I think that's what we have to do is work with our clients to see that work with parents to see that, that in actuality, all food has something to offer in some form and that too much of any food is problematic. And that includes vegetables, you know, I'm sure we've all had clients that were eating too many vegetables and lacking other foods and they either, you know, were having digestive issues because of it. They weren't getting enough other nutrients. I've had clients that <laughs> I had some that get so constipated from too many celery smoothies oh that the nutrition God. influencers <laughs> are posting with. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Right. No, it's just so many things, right? There's so many issues. And people always think, well, if I label these foods as good and healthy, then we should be eating those. But we're not realizing that all food, you know, has its place. And if had clients had to pour, you know, salt on their food because they were so scared of processed foods that they weren't getting enough sodium. And so now they're having to add salt to all of their foods. So anything in black and white can be taken to that extreme. And it's just not helpful. So I think if we can work to find um, the positive in all foods, and I literally mean all foods, like, you know, we can talk about how even say candy has carbohydrates, which is sugar in a quick form of energy that if your blood sugar is dropping, maybe you need a little bit of candy until you can get some other food or just to be able to think more clearly to decide what really sounds good next, you know, or, or maybe some of that is, is the fun and enjoyment that it brings, you know, getting to go trick or treating with your friends, um, or ice cream, you know, has calcium in it and some protein and fat. And that could be actually a really great snack to give you some substance so that you can get on for the afternoon or whatever it is. So it literally means that we can find something positive in every single food. And then if we do that, we create actually a healthier relationship with all foods instead of this 
um, you know, black, white thinking around it. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think the other piece of that too is that we really have to be thoughtful about the privilege in a lot of this black and white thinking too, you know? So much of the foods that we're saying are good or healthy are not foods that everybody has access to. And so that can also, again, create a lot of, you know, shame or just scarcity if people that don't have the privilege to get these other foods feel bad about eating that or they don't want to then eat the quote unquote, you know, bad foods. So, you know, a lot of healthy foods are really um, kind of labeled or, or more prevalent more preferential, I guess, for like middle and upper class white folks, you know, and so that's important to kind of recognize too. It's just like, again, this is such a bigger issue than just going, oh, this food is good and this food is bad. It's, it's really nuanced. Um, so I guess that's the, the big piece of it. And then also, you know, when it comes to, you had mentioned the like, you know, calculating calories and BMI, I think we have to be really careful, especially with, um, our children because kids were born to be intuitive eaters. You know, we all were, right? So when we're starting to tell kids then, you know, you have to count calories, we have to calculate numbers to figure out what you're supposed to eat, we're really taking them away from what their body knows how to do already. This inborn innate mechanism that says, you know, you're craving these foods, eat those foods, or this food um, sounds good, have that, and then when you're full, you can stop eating. And, and that's a really innate mechanism that we all have if we would just listen to it. But instead, we're telling them, okay, listen to these outside sources. You need to calculate and figure this out. Basically, we're telling them not to trust their bodies when we do that. And that's kind of the exact opposite of what we want to do. We want to be instilling trust. Like, you know how to feed yourself. You know how to listen to your body. You know when to stop eating. You know when to eat because you're hungry, your food sounds good. So when we start doing all this calculating, we're taking them away from that. And not to mention, when we start calculating BMIs, we're telling them their body is wrong or bad and that there are good bodies and that there are bad bodies. And we have to be really careful about that shame-based messaging and what that does for self-esteem, body acceptance, um, and then ultimately, too, their relationship with food and creating disordered eating as well. I think that's a great segue to our question that we get from a lot of parents, which is like, how do we respond to the parents that come to you or come to us that really are worried about their kid's weight? Like, what if their kid is living in a bigger body or is just larger than other children or the doctor and the pediatrician are saying that their child's weight is quote unquote too high. Or even if they have calculated their BMI in health class, like you just spoke on, like, and the teen comes home and says like, Hey, my BMI is technically in the quote unquote overweight area. Like how, how do you coach parents to react to this and hold on to kind of a, just a really body acceptance mindset in their responses? I think it's so hard because you know, pediatricians are telling them that, right? Society as a whole is telling them that. And so it's it's really hard when we're saying like, look, your child's in this bigger body and now they're doomed, right? Like they're gonna have all of these health issues and they're gonna have all of these um, th these problems. And so I think it's really hard to shift parents out of that state because again, they want the best for their child and they do want them to be healthy. And so, I think first what we really have to recognize is that we all have a genetic predisposition to be a certain body size. And that's just the same as our height or um, 
the size of our big toe, right? Like we all have like this predisposition to have a certain body size. And, you know, there's that set point theory that's more about like a range so that your body size will be within a certain range. Um, and we don't really have to work to keep it there. If we can just eat and listen in response to our body cues, the body's kind of going to stay in that range. And so stepping back from that a little bit, I think we also have to realize that body size does not inherently determine someone's health, that we have to separate those two issues, that um, that body size in and of itself, you know, is going to be different than saying, yes, somebody is going to have all of these health issues. It's just not, again, that black and white. There might be, you know, BMI charts and numbers that a physician will say is too big, but that ultimately might just be your child's body size. So, right, so some things that we might have to do is like, we might want to look at our child's um, rate of growth. So just kind of in helping parents like assess, like, is this really a bigger issue or is it not, right? So um, children are all supposed to be different body sizes. Like it's a spectrum. We're never going to have all children be at the 50th percentile of weight. Like that's just not normal. There has to be a spectrum. Somebody's always going to have to be at the top end of that. And somebody's always going to have to be at the bottom end of that. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your child because they are at the top end of that. That might just be their body size. And so first we can look at that rate of growth. Has your child always been at the uppers, uh, you know, set of numbers for body size? And if they're always growing, that's a, you know, at that rate, that's a really good indication that that is just their body size. Um, and, you know, I think that if your child jumps a bit in that extreme and from maybe they were at the lower end or the middle and then they do a jump, we again, we don't want to, you know, jump on that and just say like something's automatically wrong with that. Um, they could be just a little bit of others with a growth spurt or something. And so they do jump up a little bit before other people and then the other people catch up. So we don't just want to jump on that immediately. However, if there is a sudden jump in a consistent pattern of weight gain, we do want to assess, could there be some other underlying issues? And I want to be clear, we're not trying to like manage their weight and say their weight is a problem. We're just trying to look at, is there something else going on that is causing this increase? And that's the thing that we're concerned about is the underlying issue. What's going on for this child that they are jumping up in weight? Um, you know, have they been under a lot of stress lately or had issues with friends and socialization and possibly they are binge eating or regularly turning to food to cope? Um, is there a hormonal imbalance that should be assessed by their pediatrician? Do we want to look at that? Has there been a drastic change in physical activity? And maybe that is, again, due to socialization or something, you know, are they suddenly not wanting to go on sports teams or do something because... Um, something's happening socially for them. So we want to be assessing like what's underneath this, not that their weight is a problem itself. Um, and I think the other piece, especially when we're talking about teens, that's really important to recognize because I think sometimes parents get really nervous about this and, and so do pediatricians if they're not informed, is that um, there is a huge acceleration in growth around puberty. 
And so sometimes, especially girls, they grow, you know, we always say they grow out than up. So they grow out a bit more and they might store more belly fat um, and just fat in general before they catch up in height. And that is their body getting ready for puberty and for menstruation. And so we need to realize that that weight gain is protective, it's necessary, it's supposed to happen and not think that, oh, they've always been this size and all of a sudden they're looking a little bit, you know, chunky or big or something's wrong. Like it's normal. That weight gain can be, I think the numbers I've heard are somewhere around like 12 to 23 or 25 pounds or something like that. So that can be a, a, a major increase. And again, that's normal and expected. And if we try to fix that, we could be doing a real disservice to one, what their body is just naturally supposed to do, and two, to their relationship with food and their own bodies and body acceptance. So I think that before parents can respond, they really need to have this information so that they're not kind of jumping in and trying to fix something or change something. And instead, what we really want to do is, one, is parents be able to kind of assess our own weight biases and concerns that we might have, you know, around fatness or bigger bodies and how that might be affecting our response to seeing our children in a certain size body. Um, you know, and right, it's so hard to do. I mean, it's hard when it's like in our own head, that's what we're hearing, that's what we're thinking. It's hard to really separate that from that. But but parents, we, we need to, and I think as practitioners too, we have to help parents be able to, to gently be able to see that for themselves too. Um, so. As, as the therapist, I love that you talked on more of the food behaviors or more of the underlying components because you're right, a lot of times I'll get the call from the parent concerned about their teen's weight, which is the first sign that there's probably a weight bias there because now they're calling me saying, I'm concerned about my kid's weight, help me out. And then we can do some of the underlying work of like, well, what are their food behaviors? Because I'm not really concerned about your kid's weight. I'm concerned about if the weight is a symptom of something else. And if it's a food behavior or a medical issue or something I need to refer out for, or is your teen really struggling with depression and hormonal imbalance and they are emotionally eating? Or I've had teens who are, quote unquote, can't stop eating when they get home from school and then I find out it's because they're not eating at school because there's so much body image pressure and so much diet culture at school that then, yeah, it looks like they can't stop eating at school, but it's because they're starving. And so I think a huge piece, again, as a therapist is I'm always trying to assess what the food behaviors are. And so I think that if parents can kind of look at it from Let's, to your point, let's break it down. Is there a medical component? Is there a growth spurt component? Is this the child's genetics? Or is there a food behavior? And again, I'm not going to be as concerned about the weight because that is totally our body image ideal and our pressure of society that's coming in and voicing it. But I'm going to look at, you know, is my teen overall struggling with finding balance with intuitive living, with intuitive eating? And like, what, what else could be going on here? Right. I, I think we're going to have to link poodle science again to this uh, episode because we we really all are meant to look and be different because we're not all the same. Just because we're all humans doesn't mean that we're all meant to look and act the same, just like dogs are all dogs, but there's poodles and mastiffs and pugs and labs and we don't shame 
you know, the different dogs for not looking like a poodle all the time or ever. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I think that's so true. And that's what we're trying to hopefully instill in our children too. Right. And that comes down to kind of what you were saying too about like, how do we help our children that come home feeling like this, you know, that, you know, and it, I guess it depends on what happens. Like if somebody does call them fat or what if they go to the pediatrician who wants to talk to them about their weight and, and how are we helping our children also recognize that bodies do come in all different shapes and sizes and no one body is the ideal or right or, you know, perfect and that um, we're all meant to look different, you know, and that would be, to make sense, really boring if we all looked the same, like if we all walked around the same, like it's not the way it's supposed to be. And so I think we want to help our children understand that. And then also, I always encourage parents, like, if you don't know what to say, ask more questions. Like, don't try to fix it. Just ask questions about it to help them a little bit, you know? Like, how does that make you feel that they said that? Or how do you feel about your body? So how can we kind of help them sort through that without us putting our own biases or any information in there as well? Um, and, 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 you know, just on another note with the doctor piece too, is thinking, you know, I've had parents email the day of the appointment or ahead of time or whatever to say, like, don't talk about body weight in front of my child. Like, if you have something you want to say, say it to me separate so that we can start advocating as well so that they're at least getting less of these messages if possible. And another side note too, if parents really are, you know, helping their child become advocates or advocating for their child, also you can pull your child out of those health classes if you feel like the information they're getting is not accurate. Like those are electives. And so I know I have written notes. I think Tina's written notes to excuse your child out of those or you can advocate. So just a little PSA for parents there. Yeah, not for my kid. He's only 15 months. But for clients, yes, I've written those notes saying, you know, it's just it's not necessary. Yeah. My one thought too is teens are entering this phase where they're becoming more independent and they're practicing their autonomy. And so I think a lot of parents kind of feel overwhelmed because they've started to lose control a little bit of their child's food choices. And then the teens are getting all this crazy information through multiple resources. So I think a big piece of it too is how to find that balance in helping a teen express their independence with their food choices by encouraging them. And I think that it's really overwhelming sometimes. And so I love it if you could share some of your favorite resources that parents or even just teens can go to to get some more accurate information so that they can have the independence, but also make sure that they're getting the right information. So, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you that I don't know that there are a ton of great resources in terms of accurate food information because everything is so biased with fat phobia and healthism that it's really hard to just get like straight neutral advice about food. So I think a couple of things. One is um, one of the best resources is to use intuitive eating. And especially now there's a workbook for teens. So we have the intuitive eating book, the intuitive eating workbook, and the book, the workbook for teens. So I think that is an awesome um, resource. The Celebrate Your Body by um, Sonia Renee Taylor is a great book, especially for girls that are kind of getting ready to go into puberty. And otherwise, I really like to encourage parents to kind of step away from this health 
simplest way of looking at food and to focus more on cooking. Like let's look at cookbooks and find your favorite recipes and try to get a variety of foods in. Let's look at how food is grown and how it gets to us. Like let's start taking this health piece um, out of it and really focusing on enjoying food, cooking together, being present together. Um, and, and then there, there are, there are some people, you know, that are on social media and, and we do have other resources for that. Um, but in actual, like, you know, books or anything, I think it's really hard to find unbiased actual, like nutrition information. Um, I actually do have a book that I'm trying to almost read from here. I can't even see it, but it's like a hundred things um that you didn't know about food or something and it's just like super fun it's a way to talk about food and it's it's just like funny facts and silly things that again get us like talking about food because the more the kids are exposed to it the more likely they are going to be to try new things and experiment with it and get more variety so if we can just keep it more fun and enjoyable like ellen satter said and i might script the quote but it's like when the joy goes out of eating nutrition suffers so we want to focus on creating this just like fun and enjoyable environment about food instead of making it um so much about like individual nutrients and health yeah to piggyback off that it's like i love how you say like we need to kind of take the health out of eating and we're not saying to parents like don't give a crap what you're feeding to your kids we're not saying that but we don't need to be obsessing about every little thing if we're overall giving balance and variety and we have the capability to do that and we're we're using the resources that you have available different food resources your kid's gonna be fine the part that is is when they they're not fine is when we start to psychologically impact them when we teach them the good bad when we teach them the obsessional thinking that's where I think it starts to really take a wrong turn. Well, I love your point about the joy too. I mean, as adults, we know that food is something that we gather around and that's celebratory and celebrations and in holidays and teens are the same way. Like when teens all go out together, they're going to go to In-N-Out. They're going to go get pizza. They're not going to all go sit around and like cut cucumbers. So it's okay to allow... Like, it's okay to allow teens to go out and hang out with their friends and celebrate and bond and connect around the table, even if it's at the local fast food restaurant. Like, there's nutritional pieces in that. I'm not the nutritionist, but I just, I love the joy of it. I love when teens are hanging out when they're not partying and using substances. Like, let them make, let them hang out in, like, their sweet little ways, even if it's around the pizza table. Like, who, let them let them be independent, let them be autonomous, and let them connect in the same way that we as adults connect by going out to dinner. So that's the one piece, like just normalizing the fact that this is the stage of life your teen is in and this is their connection and like let them be them and they're going to be okay. Yes. And so for resources, I'm going to toot your horn, Nicole, because your Instagram is yeah really helpful. I, I mean, it's like... It's great. And so I use it a lot of times for parents and clients to be like, go here, get this message because it's neutral and it is legit info. And so do you have any thoughts about posts that you've made that have been most helpful for parents or other resources that you use to create these posts? Like, where's your genius mind coming from? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you're hilarious. Um, and thank you. Um, it's it's interesting, I guess. Um, you know, some I, I often just draw from what I'm going through either personally with my own children, what I'm hearing from my clients in session, um, what I'm hearing from my Facebook community. Uh, I have a group called Joyful Eating for Your Family. Um, so I kind of pull from all of these different things and it just gives me, um, you know, more info to kind of speak directly to parents and in, in what I hope that um, they can take in and hear. And I think that parents often, it, it's funny that you say that because I, some of the posts that I get most reaction on are something that I thought was so simple or silly or something. I'm like, wow, they just like totally connected to that. And I didn't even realize it. You know, I think there was one post when school came out and I said something about like, it's okay for uh, your child or your child might need a second lunch after school or something. And it like, but a huge reaction. I was like, okay. Like, I just thought that was like a very simplistic, like whatever type of thing. But I think parents really connect with the things that they face in day-to-day -day life and being like, oh, it is okay if my kid comes home from school and needs to eat an entire another meal. Like, that's okay. We're normal. Like, you know, and so... I think it's those little things that really do connect. And then um, sometimes things too that, again, I don't, I don't try to be um, controversial, although some people might argue with that, but it really is what I think people need to hear often. And so I really am speaking to something that maybe came up in session. And so I'm going to put out the opposite of how I actually spoke to my clients about it and worked with them on it or what a parent brings up to me. Um, and sometimes, you know, those messages, I think, really resonate with the community that needs to hear it and get a big reaction from the communities that don't want to hear it. Because um, I have had people, you know, message me and tell me I'm really controversial or um, I shouldn't be posting things like that. And, and to me, it's kind of funny sometimes because, like, I think I had done a post and it's, it was around... I don't remember if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas and it was like something around like it's okay if your child only eats dessert at Thanksgiving or something like that I don't even remember I got so many private messages and people commenting on it and I was like really like aren't there bigger things to worry about in the world than letting your kid just eat dessert but I think it just really goes to show what strong opinions like some people have about food and weight and bodies and health. And, um, you know, so I really just try to connect with parents so that they can, and people in general, because I speak to both in my Instagram, both to parents and to just people trying to work through their own um, food struggles and disordered behaviors and intuitive eating journeys um i just really hope to connect and resonate with what they they might need to hear on any given day i think that's a great point because there's so many different messages out there that really contribute to this concept of our diet culture and i think to your point that you said earlier where we are born intuitive eaters like how can parents raise kids to be intuitive eaters with diet culture so loud and then also if the parents have struggled themselves with this constant intuitive eating, how can they stop the cycle? Yeah, I think that's, it's so hard, right? It's so hard for all of us because it's everywhere. It's like we're swimming in all of this disordered messaging all around us. And so I think that we have to just empower ourselves and our children as much as we can um, 
by the education that we provide in our home and the role modeling. And we do have to relinquish control because we don't actually know what's going to happen for sure with our children. Like they are being susceptible, uh, susceptible to all of this diet culture messaging around them too. So we can't keep them in a bubble and you know entirely protect them. They are going to be exposed to it. So I think one we have to recognize, like we really we can't control everything. We can only do our part to hope that they are able to be mostly unaffected. Um, I don't remember the exact quote, but I remember when my kids, my oldest probably, who's seven now, was young. And I remember I was talking to my therapist and she said something like, to be a good parent, you you repair 80% of the time or something. So I think I was just like, I'm losing it. And I'm like a horrible parent. I suck at this. I'm going to screw up my kid for life. And it wasn't about food. It was about something else. But I was just like, ah, like all of this is so hard to do everything right. And I remember her saying like, to be a good parent, you repair 80% of the time. And I think that's how I try to view what we're doing with food as well. And that in terms of like helping our children through this, they are absolutely going to be influenced by diet culture and we can't entirely protect them from that. So we try to form an, uh, a strong like open communication system with them where we're able to repair 80% of what they take in that we can go through and try to repair what they're hearing outside of our home, from school, from their friends, from the media, from everywhere, that we're trying to get them to critically think about that. We're trying to talk to them about how we view food in our home, that we can instill the importance of listening to their body and we can respect their choices regarding that. Um, that's where like, we can follow Ellen Satter's division of responsibility, where we allow them to eat as much of the food um, that they need or want from what we provide. And so that we're still allowing them to have say in what goes into their body and how much. Um, and so we can only do as, as much as we can, right? We can talk about food positively. We can get them in the kitchen helping. We can read, food, uh, read books about food and body respect and just hopefully catch and repair and talk through all of these situations, um, you know, as much as we can. And so I would say to, you know, empower yourself, like learn more about intuitive eating and the division of responsibility by Ellen Satter. Um, I have a friend actually who struggled with an eating disorder herself. And now that she's been like absorbing more of kind of the anti-diet paradigm and, and working on her you know, following the division of responsibility and her own language and the way that she offers food to her child. She told me like, she just is so grateful that she now just feels more empowered as a mom. Like she feels like she kind of has a plan to do her best in a way. And it's not this like rigid plan, like we like to think about diets, but it's that she knows that she is doing her best with the language she uses and the way that she is providing food. Um, to her children. And so she feels more empowered now that she just has that knowledge. So I think parents just need to know that. They need to know where to get that knowledge. Again, intuitive eating, Ellen Satter's division of responsibility. Know that none of us are perfect and you're not going to be with every little thing. You know, this is not a test to see like how well you do it. It's just about constantly kind of shifting and responding to our children's needs and being mindful of our own biases around food and bodies and 
um, and, and just really trying to trust our children to feed themselves what they need um, from our role modeling and the food that, that we provide as parents. Um, yeah. I want to speak to those listeners that maybe had a reaction when you're like, I posted something and said, it's okay if you just eat dessert on Thanksgiving. And I can hear some parents be like, are you effing kidding me? Like, I would not be okay with that. And so what what we're trying to communicate here is really how to heal your own relationship and check your own intentions with your own food, your body, so that your kids don't live in a space that is disordered or is obsessive, you know? And so we're not saying to only serve your kids dessert at breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the next two weeks and to not give a crap. No one's saying that. We're saying to put the control into the kids and see what happens. Like if you're starting at the very beginning with the division of responsibilities, see what happens and then get your own support to see how you can work through your stuff so that your kid can develop a better relationship with food and their body than maybe you have because you certainly weren't in control of your own upbringing. Your parents raised you how they were going to raise you. And so now how can you shift that dynamic and provide a better gift to your kid than you were given if you're struggling with your own stuff? Right. Absolutely. And I think that's what it is, right, too, that that as parents, like, if you need to heal your own relationship with food, then start there. Like it is never too late to start working on this and and unpacking what's happening for you and your reactions to food. And I think exactly like if you did have a strong reaction to that, then that says that there's something going on for you with your own relationship with food and or the control that you want to have over your child's food intake. And so you know, that's, that's a good place to just recognize too, what do we feel in our body when we hear statements like this? How do we react? And that usually means that there's something that we need to, to look at a little bit more. I think one of the most courageous things a mom or a parent can do is to let go and to look in the mirror and do their stuff and try to let go a little bit more. And I think the most courageous parents that I see in my practice are the ones that come in and say, how can I support her? How can I support him? What can I do to create an environment that is good and I might be hanging on to all my diet culture beliefs and all my inner dialogue with but I will keep my mouth shut if that's what it takes since I think that's some of the most courageous parenting that I've seen yeah I agree too I I actually recently did like a just a little talk at my um son's preschool it was more like a round table talk with some parents and one of the dads that was there, he did say, said, if, if I can gather like anything from what you're really trying to say, it's to let go of some of the control. And I was like, absolutely. Like you get it right. Like, it's not just about like the actual food and all this stuff. It's really about like empowering our children, trusting them and letting go of some of the control. So how can people find you? Where, how can they work with you? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Nicole Cruz RD or in our Facebook group, um, Joyful Eating for Your Family. And that's a great community where it is based around um, intuitive eating, the division of responsibility, um, and just raising our children to have a healthy and joyful relationship with food. 
Um, and then I have lots of options for working together. I work with individuals across the age spectrum on healing their own relationships with food. And I also offer um, parent nutrition coaching where I work with just the parents and shifting their mindset and offering like practical tips and solutions for um, just talking about and dealing with food in their home and with their child. And so you can find out more about all these different package options. Um, you know, I have like monthly packages. I have just one-on-one -on -one individual sessions. Um, so you can find out about all of them by going to my website, which is nicolecruzrd.com. Sweet. Thank you so much, Nicole, for chatting with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you all enjoyed our conversation today. Since this is such a big topic, please know that we will circle back around to it in future episodes. There's no way that we could touch on all the information in just 40 to 50 minutes or however long this episode is. Um, each teen and each family is unique. So if you need individual guidance for your family, please reach out to any of us, Rachel, myself, or Nicole, for individual work. Or if you are not in our areas, we can help you find a provider to work with. So our takeaway question today is, how do you want to foster your teen's food relationship? Do you want to continue to support diet culture or pave the way for a better food relationship? One that has freedom, mindfulness, and positivity woven together. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.